Hello, everybody. Welcome to the History in Today podcast, uh, season two, episode one. Uh, I'm here with uh, constant co-host Katie and uh, Rhea Kalerasu, our uh, uh, guest for the week. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be here for the first time, too. <laughs> yes, welcome. This is a part of a new um, season two is going to look different than season one. We're inviting in a lot of guests. Um, and this is the first. Um, this is the first episode of that. And so I think that it's going to make the podcast a little more interesting. Yeah, the two of us talking back and forth to each other was fun. And, you know, we, we enjoyed it. But I feel like adding that third person really kind of adds another dimension. Well, I'm just excited to talk. <laughs> I'm super pumped to be here. <laughs> Nice. So yeah, so we're today we're going to talk about your experiences and, you know, basically whatever you want to talk about on the podcast. And uh, you want to start off by giving a little background of, uh, we're, you know, the first thing we're going to do talk about is kind of just identity in general. So do you want to give us a little backstory? Yeah, well, okay. Um, if we're talking about who I am and how I got here, it obviously starts long long time ago but i'm gonna cut back to the 90s my dad was a um it professional as many of us are um but he was in india he's from a very poor area in india and he came to san francisco on like a six-month job and he fell in love with san francisco so he comes back and he gets an arranged marriage to my mother and logically, they move to America, but not San Francisco, Virginia. <laughs> and I was born quite soon after. And we basically, we came from Virginia up here to Connecticut after my dad lost his job post 9-11. And um, after that, he started working up here in Bristol. And I've just been... A Connecticut girl since and yeah it's pretty interesting growing up here as an Indian American in the suburbs of Connecticut but yeah so I guess that's like a little you know backstory nice so yeah so all of us are originally from other places and then moved to Connecticut mm -hmm. uh, we uh Katie's from born the farthest away from Connecticut, but <laughs> yes, I was born in an entirely different country. I was born My in God. a different uh, yep. Virginia. <laughs> wait, so wait, you what country were you born in? Sorry, I got I got I'm su super excited by this. Um, I was born in Romania, um, and my parents adopted me when I was two. Um, and so they went through this like whole process, and the adoption process is very um, intricate, especially when you're going through international adoption. Uh -huh. um, and they actually had to contact the president of Romania because they were having such a difficult time um, getting me over here. But it's so it's so interesting that we all came from like these varying backgrounds. Um, in varying places in the world, but we all ended up here today. I always think that that's interesting. Oh my God. I don't even know. Of all the places I could have been born, I was born in Virginia. I don't even know. Like people, well, especially here, the place, the town that I grew up in, Farmington, Connecticut, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's, I, it's not a big secret. I tell everyone, but um, basically here, 
everyone's like been born and raised here for generations and generations. So people will see me and they'll be like, where were you born? Anticipating like India, it makes sense. Or Connecticut, because like, why else would I be here? And I'm like, Virginia, Virginia. I'm a, you know, like not necessarily West Virginia, but like there are country roads there. I'm pretty sure I don't count as a Southern girl, I guess, but like it's there. And I don't know, it's like the most random place for me to have come from, but also this is like the most, random place for me to be but it's great uh well it's it's something <laughs> so yeah when people ask you like where you were from is it usually with a little bit of a kind of a negative connotation on it or is it just kind of oh for sure so basically the thing is my first language wasn't english because my mom like so she was a stay-at-home mom and I just kind of hung out with my mom all the time because also she was like 20. So it really was like, we were literally hanging out, just 20 year old and her three year old pal. And then like, I get to preschool and I'm like, oh crap, I can't speak to anyone. And so then I quickly learn English in like a span of a couple of years. So sometimes when I get emotional as well, the accent comes back out because the English that I initially learned wasn't quote-unquote American English because Indian English is very much like the language of the colonizer which is British English so I'll say things and people give me a funny look and they're like so where, so where, were, you, where were you from and I'll be like oh, Virginia actually 10 minutes from the capital so pretty American so you know and right. then from Richmond or from uh Alexandria. Alexandria. There is it's an interesting place. Um but yeah, like it's it's close to the capital and I obviously I don't really remember a lot because I was very young when I came up here. So for all intents and purposes, I'm like a CT person. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I go there and I'm like, wow, this is like as American as it gets. <laughs> a suburb off of DC, so cool. But yeah, it's it's interesting. And I I don't know, It's it, there's some satisfaction in like telling someone like, oh, you think that I'm not American because of how I look? Well, ha, I am. <laughs> and it's like, it's not really a big gotcha because then they'll come back at you with like anchor baby or something like that i'm like no not really i think i i don't i don't think any no <laughs> no anchor, but, anger baby yeah people people assume this is another thing with being the daughter of immigrants people assume that i was more of like an insurance for them to stay here rather than them wanting a child and it's really does a lot for your self-esteem there but um no like obviously I wasn't like I I I think I would have existed regardless of where I would have been born um but it's it's definitely like interesting how far certain people will go trying to invalidate my quote unquote Americanness when I'm like fairly American I like at least Americanized so yeah, I don't know, I, but it's interesting. I think like kind of like adding on an extra layer to that, I feel like there's like this term that like 
you know, Americanness, um, like you said, but America is made up of so many different bodies of people and so many different backgrounds. And I think like America, I guess in history, um, which we, Sam and I have talked about, history is very whitewashed. But mm -hmm. um, in American history, a lot of the times we, we have been explained that America is, you know, that melting pot of the world where all of these different cultures come in. But what I think is just so like wrong about that, like, like that bright sunny message being told is they say like, yes, we're in this melting pot, but we don't represent every single culture and every single background that's in the melting pot. And like this idea that you have to be and look a certain way to be American yeah. is it's just so it's so mind blowing and it's very close minded because America it, it I, I don't know what like comparison to make, but it's almost like college admissions, like blasting out their diversity numbers and making them seem more um, like impressive than what they actually are and like not using like I don't want to say like inflate the numbers, but like they they like stick them out as like a selling point to come to the school. I guess like that's like a good comparison to make. It's like we we sell them we sell the melting pot ideology, but if you come to America and you don't look a, you don't look a certain way, if you don't speak English, if you're you know if your English isn't perfect, it's like you're not American. Which is being American, I feel isn't like a thing. You can't be American. Like you being born in America or, you know, living in America is the only thing that I can think of that's really American because everyone's so different. I don't know how you feel about that or if you have any insight on that, but. No, I absolutely agree because I feel like, it, and this is not a profound statement to make by any means, but I feel like the like quote unquote American identity is inherently associated with whiteness, which is like anytime, like I have friends that are not citizens of the United States, but they never get questioned about where their country of origin's from because they have blonde hair and blue eyes. So they fit that mold of what they, what an American's supposed to look like. And I know, I know my love for the country that I was born in, and I know that I want the best for this place, but I don't know, like people just assume that I don't sometimes. And like, am I hurt by it? Not really, because I understand the concept of ignorance and I'm like, people are going to be ignorant. But I do worry sometimes, like, how this, like, restricted view of Americanness is going to affect future generations because we see, like, this quote, like, melting pot that's been very much, like, painted over with whiteness, like people are like, no, I want to express my culture identity. I want to express the things that make me and my background unique. So I, I really wonder how that's going to look in the future, because especially it's had an effect on my life. So, you know, my kids and my kids' kids, like what's going to happen there? So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's also, you know, the kind of what, what's going to happen in the future. It's also really unpredictable because it seems like while yes, it's whitewashed and yes, the, the history is, you know, yes, the history of this country is very, you know, defining what American is in a very, you know, kind of to the point way. I think they also kind of shift what American is depending on the current climate of the world a lot. 
like you know i think after 9 11 i think a lot of you know as you know uh i think after 9 11 a lot of you know sentiments were changed towards particularly muslim community mm-hmm. um, and you know we had with world war ii japanese internment with you know before that basically you know every time immigration a new immigration swell happened oh yeah those people we don't like them it was like you know <laughs> I, I i just i love the story of you know the germans come in they're the you know the, the germans come in they don't the dutch come the germans come in the dutch don't like them then the italians come in and the yeah the irish come in and the germans don't like them and then the italians come in and the irish don't like them and it's yeah. like you know, and then it just keeps going and going and going and I yeah, feel like I don't know. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say, like, I think it's another thing I find interesting is that American identity, like, is not even based on people who are native to this country, mm-hmm. which I find so. It's just so ironic and it's so terrible because the amount of, like, the people who shaped this landscape, um you know, indigenous peoples, this, this is, this is their home. This was their home. And then we come in and we steal their home and we, and we build these roads and we, you know, America did not look anything like it did did today. Um, It was very like, you know, um, nature like, um, wow. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I, I just think that it's. Ecological. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, just the fact that American identity is is stripped away from indigenous peoples as well, I just think is very, you know, cruel because they're they're actually the people who originated um in this country and shaped the land and yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to think about. Yeah. I feel I and that just kind of goes back the to the entire like idea that like history is really written by like the people who are able to write it at the end, like, and it, it's very unfortunate. And like, still like we see conversations about like how we can, you know, bring back or like, sh- like give the focus to indigenous cultures and to the people who this land really technically belongs to. But like, it there's also like this sense of like, it's never going to happen, so why even bother? And I remember this This was a very defining experience for me when I was, like, 13 years old. I was in Latin class, and we were learning a dead language, right? Latin. And our teacher puts on this video of this woman trying to preserve her, like, tribe's, uh, like, language. Oh, God. Um, And so she's trying to preserve it, and she's teaching her grandson. Her grandson's teaching people. And he closes this this video off, and he's like, you know, this is, like, the dumbest thing that someone could do. It's a dead language. No one's going to use it. There's two people. Why is she even trying? I'm like, you teach Latin? So the language died, okay? Just because... Like, it's been assigned value by, and I don't want to sound, like, bitter against white people, but I'm like, it's been assigned value by white people. That's the reason why we find value in studying it. And 
because Western society is centered around that. But the thing is, societies exist outside of the Western lens, which I yes. feel like certain yes. people just like, even when I mentioned that, they're like, like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. But like, am I actually going to acknowledge that and let that like change my worldview? Absolutely not. And it's it's frustrating. It definitely is, especially when like that outside perspective is an entire half of my life. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, like Latin, Basically, the only real reason I think that it's still around is probably because of the Catholic Church, because it was so necessary, and you know, and the Catholic Church is kind of the the epitome of that Western expansionism, you know, just kind of I don't want to say taking over the world because that sounds very like diabolical, but also that's kind of what it is. Like it's just kind of this megalomaniac uh, <laughs> expanding to reach to the four corners of the planet with a with a language that really you know was central to their you know central to all their teachings until like i think the 60s when they finally were like yeah we should probably do our sermons in the language that people can understand <laughs> and then also like you know the other the when you said you know you mentioned dead languages that have importance i think a lot of people don't realize that like hebrew was a dead language for hundreds of years and then that's another you know religion tied language that you know, as much as I don't want to sound anti-Semitic here, but as much as, you know, you know, the Jews have been an oppressed people, they are definitely a, you know, a very, you know, Western included people in, in parts of the world. So when the people that would go back to Israel to, you know, start that, you know, that state in 1948, while yes, they were, you know, their, their heritage was not originally Western, the people that started and brought back the religion were western so that's you know that would be why a religion uh, that would be why a language like that would be brought back from you know from the dead and nobody really has a problem with that nobody really asks why did they bring it back it was a dead language but i think that's interesting yeah i'd say oh go ahead you go no you go i was going to draw a comparison actually to hinduism because that's the religion I practice. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously Hinduism does not have, like the entirety of it does not have like a central, like governing, like, you know, like body such as the Catholic church. However, we do have this concept of a caste system and we have this concept of a hierarchy so I feel like a lot of the time, especially because Hinduism does never existed in the way it does today, because back in the day, all of Hindustan, which is South Asia, basically, there were a like bunch of different languages, like Vedic texts, which is what a lot of Hinduism is based off of, didn't really exist as like this like text that everyone needed to live by. Rather, it was like a way of life. And now we introduce this like caste structure and the quote unquote upper caste gets to decide what's important. So they're like Sanskrit, that's our language, Sanskrit. But the interesting thing is a lot of the old like, and, and obviously like for me, this is very frustrating because a lot of the older structures and temples and a lot of the history 
is in so southern India for Hinduism, and a lot of it was never written in Sanskrit, which is and more of like an Indo-Aryan language. It was in a Dravidian language, which is Tamil, which is what I speak and what I write, and what a lot of the South Indian languages are similar to, because like there is very much a difference. So it's like what this like quote unquote like higher in society like they decide and they govern and they get to choose what is and what isn't going to be representative of an entire group of people who are incredibly diverse and it's very frustrating but it's also like it's just bound to happen you know yeah um to kind of add on to that when i was learning about language families for the first time there were so many languages that I just didn't even know existed. And I think like part of that, that ignorance is the expectation that English is the language that people should know around the world. And mm -hmm. I am personally against that. I do not think that people should be expected to know English in like, if they do not want to know English, like, I just don't think, I think that Americans and like, or people who live in America, like should be expected to learn a second language or multiple languages in school systems. I think that just encouraging that English is not the only language that exists and not expecting other cultures um, and other groups of people to conform to that if that's not something that comes naturally to them and it's not something that they necessarily want to do. Mm -hmm. um, it's like there are just so many languages that exist, but so many people don't know about them because, you know, it that that expectation is there and it it shouldn't be there um and it, it creates barriers for people around the world um and so i think that that part of identity as well is just lacking like we should be sharing um sharing cultures instead of expecting people to mold um into something they're not yeah and also english is just kind of a hard like this is just total opinion but english is just kind of like it's a horrible language to have as the one language you speak because it's like it doesn't really have rules there's like so many exceptions to the rule. It's like, it's just a jumbling of a bunch of older languages. Like, it's not even like a good language. Like, I don't know. That's just. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like if you learn, like, if you learn a language that's like within like a language family, so like, say, like one of the romance languages, for example, like, say you learn, you know, um, french you could maybe understand a little bit of like italian or something else like within that language family because they have like similar um like rules of grammar and it like makes sense it's a little more consistent english just isn't like that like if you learn english you have to like redevelop the wheel um and i don't know um raya if that's kind of like something you found when you were beginning to learn english or if your experience was different but... well uh, the thing for me with English, though, is I was still incredibly young when I learned it. So I was still within that period of, like, uh, like high ability for language acquisition. So for me, I didn't even remember, like, learning English. I just remember not being able to speak it and one day being able to speak it. <laughs> and it, it just, it just, and it's weird. Like, I don't think a lot of people remember learning a language like that at such a young age so it, it's like i remember like going to preschool and that experience but then after that somehow i just learned it because everyone else spoke it i was like oh crap i need to know how to say this so i can like 
I don't know, go to the bathroom and pee or something, or I'm, I'm screwed. So yeah, like, I, I guess not necessarily, but I, it's definitely something with my parents. That is definitely, I, oh my gosh, I feel bad. I genuinely do because my parents and I, I, we talk about this like all the time, especially right now, like with like, I'm taking linguistics. So I always talk about it with them. They, they've learned English for longer than I have. They grew up learning it in school. But the thing is the very basic, like grammatical rules, they're, they're just so, it's so random. And then they're like, wait, did I say that wrong? I'm like, yes. And they're like, how am I supposed to know that was wrong? That makes no sense. And I'm like, I, I guess you're right. I didn't, I never thought about that. So, and the thing is, I see myself getting frustrated with them. I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm letting myself be that person. I need to understand. Like not everyone needs to learn or be highly proficient in English. Like, yeah, that shouldn't be a ne like necessity to succeed in this world. Yeah. And I think like tying another connection, I think like people online, like when people are communicating, like there are always those like grammar freaks who like overcorrect people if they like misspell their um, or something like that. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, It's like people don't take into account that like English isn't everyone's first language. And if someone's trying like making an effort to communicate in English and they make a tiny grammar error because we have so many grammar rules and you're right, Umbrea, they don't make sense um or at least not all of them most of them don't um it's like it's bound to someone's bound to make a mistake like that Pe people who speak english as their first language make tons of mistakes like that all the time so it's like i feel like that's also another area where it's like don't don't like intrude on people if they happen to spell their wrong because you don't know their background and where they came from you don't know what their first language is and they might be making an effort and you just like you, a stranger comes in and tells you that you know you spelled they're wrong and like you should be more educated but that's just not the case um and that shouldn't be the expectation yeah. i feel I, like it's kind of classist you know mm -hmm. to like not a profound like observation but i feel like it is totally it totally is i think that like just the idea of like using a you know using a, a language like english to kind of subdue the rest of the world and kind of, you know, have this underneath, kind of have this over everybody as this needs to be the world's language, especially when it's such a, you know, confusing language, just kind of brings home the whole colonialism point again, where it's like, you know, we are the English group that can speak it well, uh, mm -hmm. even though a lot of the people that would still say that these days don't have the best grammar and would probably say they can speak it good, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh yeah I, i've actually i've actually noticed that where like it seems like whenever i have an argument with someone that doesn't have um the most uh progressive opinions the, the grammar does technically does kind of dip a little bit which i think also is a classist thing where i think we you know in this country because up in the north i think we they're just in the north they're just to kind of generalize we have more of a you know structured education system and I think it's sad because I think there are people in the South who just get taught the wrong things. Like, you know, you get taught in the South that the South won the Civil War sometimes. Like there are there are schools in 2020 that teach that the South won the Civil War. And How, do they do they 
how how sorry <laughs> why like, yeah, there, there are there are people that like andrew what? jackson was the hero Please, the how do they think so, that happened they they say that it was you know the war of northern aggression and they defended themselves and that they you know and they i i personally have never been to a classroom in the south but i do know that the you know if you look at the textbooks and stuff it's not the same history it's not the same things that they're teaching and also i know that you know you hear in the news of all these stories like in west virginia for example is one example that you know you go down to alabama and i think it was i think recently they were talking about mississippi where these teachers are getting paid like seven dollars an hour and they're striking because of it which you know for good reason and the school boards can't even up you know they want to but they have no money to up you know up that pay and then they just kind of not to not to give the self you know get out of jail free card because obviously there's a lot of problems in the self but there definitely is a a huge discrepancy in the amount of education that people and i'm using the self as a total generalization here there is a huge discrepancy of quality of education in different parts of the u.s even where some people just aren't given the same reality like <laughs> they're just kind of handed this they're like this is what you have to work with versus this is what this person has to work with and you're in the same world but you don't see the same world yeah i think that like in order to kind of like fix that issue or at least try to fix that issue is people moving out of where they were born and raised you know people moving around the country people moving around the world to just get exposed to different types of identity because if you are born and raised in an area you already have those biases um and then when you teach that that area you just teach what's in your comfort zone and it and it spreads um different versions of history um which is it's just it promotes a lot of political disunion um and then it's just confusing because it's it's wrong like the south did not win the civil war like they did not in no in no textbook ever like that i've i've looked at i'm sure both of you like it's it's just not a thing that's even conceivable which is why we were just like what like that it's so out of body you know right because we're from you know we've all been educated in a system that you know connecticut's one of the one of the better ones in the country and it's one of the more funded ones in the country and we you know are also one of the more liberal ones in the country so we get to we get the certain kind of education that some states don't i feel it's so the entire another part of like just obviously polarization is the fact that i a lot of times and not here obviously but a lot of times i see northerners like us like view the south in like a condescending manner and i feel like that does nothing to want people to empathize Unite. you need to you need to show empathy to receive it to a certain extent and what i see a lot of times in these like comments and conversations online which is i guess the best insight it's it they it's they feel unheard so they're like you know what this quote unquote northern establishment 
does not understand my experience. So I'm going to stick with these ignorant views that I have because at least I find comfort and recognition in them. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not necessarily saying like racism and the horrible things that can happen in the South are the fault of Northerners. Like, absolutely not. There, there is someone that needs to be held accountable for those things. But we're not helping the situation by being like, haha, dumb hillbilly redneck. Like, you know, it, it just pushes them away more. And I, 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 I guess I feel for that. Like, even though they probably wouldn't like me, like, I, I, I get why they don't, like, they just have, they feel like they have no other option. Yeah, and I think that just speaks even more to how there's no such thing as an American identity, because if you look in different regions of the country, people are so different, just like based on where they're from. You know, within America, America is made up of 50 states and each each state is uniquely different and it's known for different things. Um, and so you have like, you know, 50 different little like communities um, within one country and it's very hard to and then added on to that, which is why we're also here, is talking about the different cultures within those communities as well. It's like, it's great that it's this diverse, but how are we gonna get to a point where we actually celebrate that diversity instead of using it as a selling point for what makes America great, even though we don't respect um, everyone of different backgrounds? Yeah, I definitely, and then speaking of that, I feel like also the, stereotypes put onto immigrants as well definitely does not help at all in allowing for the cultures to quote-unquote melt together because it, it's it's so egregious like for me i've either been seen as someone from a poor country coming here to steal resources or completely like this sense of exoticism towards india which i don't know which one i hate more because for me especially like as someone who's a practicing hindu when i see people employ points of hinduism but then make it sound kind of kooky and then people are like oh my god hindus are insane and it's it's very bad when i have someone looking at me and being like your religion is nothing but a bunch of fairy tales. And I'm like, technically speaking, every religion is because like we there's if it wasn't, then we wouldn't have different religions. But OK. And also Hinduism isn't just a belief structure. It's a way of life. That's the reason why I see a lot of people adapting and appropriating elements of it. And I feel like but that's not a melting pot. That's like you're taking stuff from other people's pot and you're calling it your own. So yeah, definitely that part as well, I feel like stops us from really not like reaching cultural homogeneity, but like cultural acceptance and diversity to the extent that would be like ideal. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget just like this like epiphany I had as like an 11 year old where I was like super into the Percy Jackson books. Yeah, yeah. I, remember, so good. I was like, oh, mythology is super cool. I remember reading a lot of that Norse mythology. I was like, it's really cool. And then it hit me one day. I'm like, what does any of this have differently that the Bible 
like and I'm just thinking, I'm like, why is the Bible not like regularly referred to as mythology? Because it's, it's yes. basically the same thing. It's like it's, yes. it's a bunch of stories from a time that was a long time ago that a bunch of people will pay attention to, and the only reason is that there is no there there isn't a large population of ancient Greeks. <laughs> walking no, they control. do that to Hinduism as well. Exactly. It's exactly. like, like, oh my god, tell me about Hindu mythology. Tell exactly. me about, and I'm like, well, do I call it Christian mythology? Would you be happy if I said that? Like, no, then you'd be up in arms. So, don't call it mythology. Every every religion is a mythology, and my dad and I we get into like some conversations about religion sometimes um, because I grew up in a um, very religious diverse households one of my parents is an atheist one of my parents is catholic so there's a lot of discussion that revolves around um religion and there's a lot of clash that um revolves around um religion but sometimes i have conversations with my dad and he's like wow like you can really trace some of these beliefs back like to where they were founded like when henry the eighth decided that he was going to create the church of england the anglican church because he couldn't get a divorce from his wife like you have a totally different um religious belief system there now and you can like trace that origin back um and i think that's interesting too but it's like every every religion is a set of um mythology but it's it's people's beliefs and that's that's accepted you know um but it's like why can't we look at every single religion like that you know why why is there this classist like my religion is better than yours well no it's not it's just different it, it's a yeah. different belief system Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's, for me, it's very frustrating when they act as if Hinduism is just some like crackpot theory that people came up with. Because like a lot of it is just science. Like it's yeah. just like, it's not even like religious concepts. It's just like, this will literally give you dysentery. So don't do that. And then we're like, okay. And then we made it part of a religion because we don't want to like, I don't know, die a painful death. And right. it's like people will be like, oh my God, y'all are crazy. You guys are doing all this weird stuff. And then they go treat Corona with essential oils. And we're like, uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. yeah, great, great. Cool, 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 cool. And resurrection is totally based in science. Like resurrection is a very scientific thing that totally happens all the time. Uh, if you go in a cave three days later, you will disappear uh i was like actually so, waiting for you i thought you sounded so dead serious and i was like god damn really <laughs> Time to oh my god maybe that's yeah. how like all of us it's just someone just like very serious like actually there's a man and he's blue and then we're all like you know what that'd be pretty dope so i want to just go with it and honestly, I'd be fine if that's what religion is either. Like, if it's just yeah, what gives you comfort, like, cool, great. How? Who's hurt? Like, who's getting hurt? Who's getting hurt? No, one. I think that it's only it's only harmful when you impose your your religious beliefs on other people. Like, I think the whole the whole debate about um, it shouldn't even be a debate about you know access to um, reproductive rights for women and the whole like certain people like you can't get an abortion because it goes against like my beliefs like it's just everyone believes different things and like i do not like like me personally if i would not get 
an abortion, but I would not take that away from other people if they decide that that's what's best for their well-being. And I think yeah. like freedom of religion, like it's 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 a freedom of yes, everyone celebrates their own religion, but it's also a freedom to choose not to go to yes. a religion as well. So it's like choosing a path of secular um of being secular is also a freedom of not to practice a religion. You know, so I think that like that the freedom of religion is kind of restrictive because it just is an expectation again to conform to um different beliefs that are not yours. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I especially for my family because we just aren't like Abraham, like following an Abrahamic religion. It's very confusing. We're like, you guys kind of believe in the same thing. So why are you fighting? Like, it doesn't make sense. And it's like people, and I saw this really like interesting comment where it's like, you guys would be all for a separation of church and state and not using religious justifications for things if it was a muslim country you call that backwards however when it's here and it's your christian values and like people are like america was born like birthed on judeo-christian values judeo-christian values and i'm like okay but like that should like that's that's the people that wrote just because one group of people decided that that's what they wanted to base everything on does not mean it's right i feel like people think that just because something exists just because a rule exists that means it's the only option and like things can change and i don't understand why people can't understand that it's it's very confusing to me <laughs> it's definitely, oh sorry yeah go ahead and i definitely think it's like it's not even that it's like it's it's not even a refusal to accept that like things can change sometimes it's it's doubling down and weaponizing the religion where you know yes the pledge of allegiance which we say which we could go into a tangent about how creepy that is you know for 20 minutes but the pledge of allegiance yeah exactly but the pledge of allegiance uh they added under god in the 1950s like it wasn't like that was you know oh yeah this this has to be in it right from the get-go they added it during a time when the 1950s was probably one of the most xenophobic eras of American history, because you have, you know, McCarthyism with basically everybody that isn't American is a, you know, communist and trying to attack our country. You're coming right off the heels of Japanese internment. And also, as I found out, Italian internment and German internment, which we... But the thing, I feel like the reason why Japanese internment was so, like like is talked about still is because obviously when we're talking about like german and italian internment like you gotta be identifiable and the japanese americans are so much more identifiable just because as people of color they have those like ethnic traits and i guess like definitely that but like also like how how do you identify like people that look as very much like, I don't know, like a Polish immigrant or an Irish immigrant. You can't unless they like come out and they say it. So I guess that's the reason why there's more of a focus on that. Yeah, it's sad though, because, you know, while, you know, we're saying like that's the reason why there was more focus on Japanese internment, 
you know, that prop that implies that they checked to actually see if you oh, know, no. Italians and the Germans were actually Italian and German Americans. While there were plenty of Chinese people that were interned as as Japanese internment because mm -hmm. you know the U.S. government was like, oh yeah, you look like you're from Japan. We're just gonna you know ship you off to our camps uh, because you know U.S. was great in the in the 40s and 50s. Uh. <laughs> it's it's always so astonishing to see the hypocrisy. Oh my God, it's like poetic in a sense. Like wow. You're really gonna say that and do that? Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. And then we look back on it like, yeah, that was like the that was the bad old days, you know. That was, you know, 70 years ago. I never forget. It's never gonna happen again. But then like it's happening. Bad things are happening right now. Like don't <laughs> yeah. don't act like we're better now than the nineteen like fifties. Right. And yes, like in some aspects we're better, but yeah, like we're not we're not in experimenting some there's there are institutions and systems in place that have been harmful for the entirety of our history so don't so don't act like we're any any better now than we were then the problems are just different or the problems are the same which is terrifying too because the 1950s was 70 years ago so the fact that we haven't made any oh progress God. in some areas yeah it's it yeah i don't know it's just it's sad. It's punishing. You know, like it's civil sad. Rights, yeah. Civil rights, the civil rights movement was 70, 60 years ago, and we're, you know, quoting it like, you know, we, we, you guys got all the, and, you know, I hear people, you guys got all those rights. Why do you need it anymore? And it's like, well, first of all, you know, peaceful protest got Martin Luther King shot. So clearly, you know, that kind of symbolism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people kind of have this mentality that, like, the minute you get one thing, like that's enough. You can, you're you're in this country. It's fine. Who it's more like you're life? lucky that we gave you anything for exactly. some right. It's like you're lucky you get to sit next to us. You're lucky that you get to walk the same street and not have to cross over when I come up in front of you. It's it's very much that, and I know a lot of people don't say it, but it's implied. They're like, yes. um, what more could you want? we're not killing you like it's it's terrifying but i i do really feel like that is the case in a lot of places like a lot of people are like you're just lucky we're sparing you and it's yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a lot yeah. just it's just yeah. a, such a disgusting mentality but it's just like wow yeah it's the like, fact that we the fact that like we still use the same constitution that had the three-fifths compromise and like things that are clearly connected to slavery in them the fact that we still use that document that had that content in it is so mind-blowing to me like people often cite the constitution you know the set of values that we live on in america as a timeless document and it's like the whole point of history is that documents cannot be timeless. That's the whole point. You have to look at it from the time period that it was written and then you have to move on and you need to create something better or something that more accurately reflects what America is today, you know? And I'm not like, I think that it needs to actually be like something that, I just don't think that we should be using a document that has those compromises 
which is really playing with other people's lives um, mm -hmm. in them. It's I, just mind-blowing. If we just live by, like, what is it? The Magna Carta? And that's just the governing document for everything? Or, like, actually, I'm a Stratopsian. We need a divine ruler. I like myself. Like, if, if imagine. Okay. Or Unfortunately, we're getting close to a divine ruler. I think he, you know, he wants to get <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> I, I, see, I feel like when I think about our current president, especially from, like, my position mm -hmm. for me i feel as if the more you insult him the stronger he gets Definitely. it's kind of like what are those things the hydras the things that each time you cut off a head and new, two new ones grow in the place because it's like when you're it's kind of like an abusive relationship okay you tell this the person that's being abused oh my god leave the person they're hurting you you can you can do so much better there's so much more out there for you but they're like no this is all i can get and this is what i'm gonna stick with and you're like okay i don't know what to do and the more you try the more they're like oh my god baby they don't want us to be together so i'm gonna cut everyone else out i'm gonna be with you and i'm like is conservatism america's abusive boyfriend I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like certain elements of it is not great because we just like it's it's obviously the entire idea of conservatism is conserving everything like so like it's inherently opposed to change. So I don't know. Like, obviously, I'm saying this through a very liberal leftist lens, and it's important to recognize that and recognize my bias towards that. But it, it does feel kind of funky at times, you know? Yeah. And to, uh, go to, to go back to what Katie was saying about the Constitution and kind of add to what you were saying, Rhea, uh, this whole thing about, like, you know, conserving and the Constitution, where I think, you know, it's just, it's so hypocritical, which, again, has been the pattern of this this episode. It's It's so hypocritical that the U.S., you know, wants to conserve this document from the 1700s when we are the country that has installed constitutions in so many countries where we're basically, we go in, we're like, you need a new set of rules because your rules aren't good enough and your rules are old and they're antiquated and they're not good for your people. Meanwhile, we have zero idea of getting rid of the one, the antiquated rules that we have. But like, you know, Russia... Nigeria, Mexico, pretty much half of half of like South America. Um, I could just keep going on. If you look at their constitutions, they're all based on the U.S. one because we installed it in their country. Basically, said this is what you need to follow now. Uh, and I think that's just you know the ultimate hypocrisy. It's like a classic case of just American arrogance. It's yeah, we're such an arrogant group of people. It's uh. Oh my god. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, I often think about how how people in the in other parts of the world must view the United States right now because we are literally our country is literally on fire. And like I say that like I I say that yes in like a literally. sense of climate change, but also it's like our people, our people are are like not like literally on fire. Like yes, there are parts of our country that are literally on fire, but there are people who just rightly so 
have to stand up for what is right for their people. And it's it's just like things like should not things that should not be a debate are a debate, which which causes so much tension. Um, and I think that it's it's just like going back to what you were saying, Ray. Like tr- Trump, he he any publicity that he gets is good for him. If if people are saying bad things about him, oh well, I'm still being talked about, so it's good. But it's so it's like I don't I just don't know how other parts of the world view us because we're a, we're a hot mess right now, and I, rightly so we should be because these things need to be talked about. But we un, are undeniably a mess. Yeah. See, yeah, and so with that, I like obviously one I have like an outside perspective of it because all my family lives in India. But the other part is we're talking about like people's like rights being a debate, but like it's tough when you're people and you have people trying to defend you and you have people trying to ostracize and demonize you. And you're like, dude, I'm just trying to live my life. And Mm -hmm. it's, and I, and this is something that, I do feel like really needs to be talked about more, less from a conservative viewpoint. I think people that are more quote unquote progressive or liberal or leftist need to reflect within themselves when they're talking about these things and being like, am I talking about this to like virtue signal or do I actually believe in this? And am I talking over the people that this actually affects? Because to a certain extent, we can all talk about things, but we're not going to live it. A lot of us Mm -hmm. are not going to. And I have to recognize the fact that while I'm a person of color, I do have a privilege that is people seeing me as more intelligent or as more well-behaved. But at times that's not the case either. But it's like it's like you have to be gracious with that. You have to understand like as much as we can have our opinions, we're never going to really be able to understand that experience and we have to we have to have that lens in every conversation we have as to not sound arrogant and as to not speak over the people that it's truly affecting you know absolutely (laughs) yeah so i also speaking like just another thing that i wanted to talk about was with India, like a lot of people, and not just India, like people throughout the world, because I also have friends in like France and stuff. They're very much like, we always thought America was this like great progressive country. That's what everyone told us it was. And now we're seeing all this news and we didn't understand so much hate and ignorance existed here. We were told that this is the most progressive, most forward thinking country on the planet. And it seems like us, India, who's seen as so backwards and is so poor and like, like, lacking are doing better because at least you know we're we're not like outwardly like racist and like we're not outwardly like supporting these horrible things so it's like are are there are those elements there in india absolutely when are those elements there throughout the world absolutely but it's it's weird how this perspective on america has shifted so drastically especially in the last four years and it's disheartening absolutely as well i think the saddest part about it is like while you know the 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 shift definitely has occurred i think a lot of 
people across the world are also kind of scared to voice that opinion that, you know, they, their, you know, opinion of the U.S. has changed a lot where, you know, I went to um, Edinburgh uh, two years ago and I was in Scotland and um, I went to a comedy show and it was a small comedy show, you know, wasn't, it was like 15 people. It was the, the Edinburgh Fringe. They have like, you know, you basically walk into any building in the city and something's going on. And this guy said, you know, and he, he meant it genuinely. He, I, I, you know, I saw it in his face. He wasn't like making a joke. He said, you know, I want to make sure, you know, are there any Americans in the audience? Because I don't want to, you know, offend you. And because he was going to tell a lot of Trump jokes. And I was just thinking, like, if, if that's the opinion of like of the rest of the world, that it's like, you know, they don't want to offend. They don't want to poke the bear that is the U.S. And. A, A, the opinion is that we all support Trump, which obviously is not true, but still that they, they don't want to poke the bear and they don't want to offend in, in case that, you know, someone could be there that, that wouldn't like what they had to say in, in a place that is, you know, thousands of miles away from the United States. It's just, it just goes to show just how much influence this country has, but also just like how much fear this country has created across the globe. I feel, and that also talks to like the hypersensitivity of Americans. I feel like a lot of times, and this this goes for both sides of the political spectrum, like no one is completely exempt. I feel like people get so sensitive that they're like, no, I'm not going to hear this. I'm mad, express their anger, and then they go sit in their own bubbles. And this is especially scary to me right now because I feel like the, I believe very much in like the horseshoe theory of the political spectrum that if you go too far to either side you basically start like converging especially in social media where i'm seeing a lot of leftists start spouting anti-semitic beliefs and i'm like you guys are doing the exact opposite of what you're you're supposed to do just because someone doesn't look minority group they aren't and just because someone doesn't look like they're oppressed doesn't mean there aren't and it's it's very and i feel like that's again a testament to we're so sensitive at times that we continue digging ourselves in a deeper and deeper hole into our own political ideologies and we refuse to be more open-minded to have a worldview at all because like we always talk about america in just a closed sense we are not talking about it globally the only talk time we talk about glo uh, like america globally is like we're number one we're number one usa usa and i'm like no we're not like quite literally we're not but like yeah it's, it's part pretty, of yeah like kind of connecting to what you're saying i think that part of the reason why people get so offended and they're so hypersensitive is because identity politics has become the norm in America. I think that if you insult people's politi political beliefs, you insult their identity, which is so, so not true because politics, in my opinion, shouldn't be a part of people's identity. But the reason why it's become people's part of people's identity is it's brought in aspects of people's personal lives. So it has to become part of identity because it affects the actual things that you that you live. Healthcare, access to healthcare affects you every single day. Access to certain 
um, like access to education affects you every single day, you know? And I think that, that as long as we continue to bring in people's personal lives and mess with people's personal lives into the political spectrum, the more identity politics is going to become present and the, and the norm, which is scary, which is really, really, really scary. And the identity politics thing also has the thing of like, what do we consider politics? Like, you know, if right. all three of us, I think, you know, all three of us are totally, you know, have said many times in the last few months that, you know, Black Lives Matter, and we are, you know, totally fine saying that because it's a true statement and, you know, everybody should be fine saying that. But when we say that, people could interpret that as a political statement, which makes no sense. No sense. Because, it's identity. You know, it's people's just identity. Saying, just saying Black Lives Matter can insult people's political opinions. Uh, and I'm doing heavy air quotes on that. Uh, that's like, you know, is it is it identity politics or is it just flat out racism? <laughs> right. I think it is racism, but they're disguising it as politics. Right. Like, it's, uh, it's, right. it's not political. Yeah. It's just it's a statement that, you know, everyone... <laughs> should agree with there really shouldn't be a problem yeah you're bringing an identity and you're you're saying that you know it's it's a part of a political statement but it's not it's pe huh. it's who people are who people are is not political it's just straight what they are what they believe it's their culture and that's it it should <laughs> not be debated people's identity should not be debated in the political sphere um yeah i feel and this is like been a thing for a while like politicians have always been like personalities as well because especially when we're when you're trying to appeal to people that are not super politically educated they're going to identify more with your personality and like that that's the thing like i feel like politicians more than what their policies are it's more like how much you like them which is the thing with like the whole reason why like i feel like a lot of people hated hillary because like they just found her not likable and like obviously like she should not be like the defining the the thing that you use to decide who makes all the big decisions but like it is it's made that way and it's like yikes you know like i i i love my mom i don't think she should be the president because yeah. she's she's not really suited for that some people don't care about qualifications. They care more about who they can relate to, who's one of the boys. And it's like, yikes. That's and then it's the fact that people can win the popular vote, but lose the electoral vote. And it's like, but that's what the majority of people in America wanted. The popular vote is the clear, yeah. clearest indicator of what people want. And the electoral college is a small amount of people who, who vote a certain way. So it's like, really, in reality, if the electoral vote wins out of everything, it's just a small, it's a small portion of people who determine who becomes president. And I think the, you know, to go back to what you were saying, Rhea, about the uh, horseshoe, kind of the horseshoe model, I think, you know, 2016 is the absolute, you know, manifestation of that, where yes. we have, you know, you said Hillary, who was, you know, very much the closest to the center of the three, you know, biggest candidates. Um, and then you have on, on both sides, Trump, I think, has become farther to the right since he was elected, even though he was pretty far at the, at the point he was elected. Um, but 
we have Bernie and Trump are two candidates who very much were populist candidates where people, you know, saw the personality first. And I think, you know, Bernie, there are a lot of people that support Bernie that love his policies, and that's totally different. But I think a lot of Bernie's grassroots support came from people that just thought he was a nice, relatable old guy that, you know, people like. And I think the other problem with, with you know, when you have this populism and you have this horseshoe is I know many Bernie supporters where, you know, these supporting a far left candidate who when Bernie was quote unquote screwed over by the DNC, hopped on the Trump train. Like they didn't go to Hillary because Hillary would have been the logical one to go to for, you know, policy reasons. They went to Trump because Trump was the next populist that was still in the race. And I think that's kind of, you know, why the horseshoe really, you know, doesn't work when it comes to, you know, policy. I, I think it works to describe it, but I don't think it works to have in a political model. Yeah. I and the thing with people like politicians, like they really recognize that and they play it up, you know, they play Absolutely. up their like entire character and whatnot. And you see the people that get ignored the most are the people that are trying to just be strictly politics. And they're like, we don't want that. We need like even AOC, even if AOC is great, the reason why a lot of people love her is because she is unapologetically Latina. She's unapologetically a woman who's confident in her background. And while that's great and all, like, and I'm not saying anything about her politics. What I'm just saying is like, we are quicker to associate like relatable identity with good politics than we are anything else. And it's, it's not really, Great, especially when people's lives depend on it. So, like JFK, for example, JFK was the the person that everybody wanted to be. You know, perfect family, perfect you know wealth, you know, very white, uh, and you know JFK in the sixties white enough for some people. Right. Well, yeah, he was, he was Catholic, so he was you know, but uh, I think JFK, you know. I personally, as a historian, don't really think he was a very good president. You know, I think he, you know, he sowed the seeds for Vietnam. He, you know, said, let's go to the moon, but then wasn't really, you know, obviously wasn't around for most of the, you know, moon process. He, you know, Bay of Pigs, uh, Bay of Pigs and the Cuban miss Missile Crisis were two very, very poorly managed, you know, events. And he's remembered and as a beloved president who some people will put in there, you know, if you ask, you know, the average American on the street, you know, name your top five presidents, most of them will put JFK in the list simply because he was this model of, you know, maybe not relatability because, you know, the, the average American doesn't really look like JFK, but it's relatability in the way that it's, it's the person that, that the, the white America wants to be. Yeah. The entire yeah concept of like and going back to like experiences and stuff like that the entire idea of like an american dream like the like the kennedy dynasty is very much that and i feel like people aspire so much to that but that kind of success doesn't just happen Obviously, because their dynasty, he was able to get away with a lot of that stuff. But like, 
I don't know, like, if he wasn't, if he was just, I don't know, Joe Schmo, like, he would have gotten torn to shreds. He would have been basically treated like Ford. Ford, right? Ford. The one that everyone thought was stupid. Yeah. So, I don't know. Sorry, I, I took a moment. I was like, going back to AP US history, I'm like, who was the one that he told me was stupid? Okay, that one. But yeah. Ford, Ford um, basically is just known for pardoning Nixon. That's pretty much it. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and also being very, he was like the first, he was the first because he was president when SNL started. He was the first president. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember he used to, our teacher used to play old SNL clips to yeah, show us. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, this is something about my U.S. history education that I really appreciate. Like, shout out to my AP U.S. history teacher. But he was amazing in how he, um, like, really, he he communicated the idea that politics does have a lot to do with, like, the way the public views the politician more than just their political actions. Because the average American would not understand the complexity of the bills and, like, the laws, the legislation being passed. They understand there's a pretty boy on my screen so i really like him and i'm gonna say that he's a great president but like yeah and i i, I think it's definitely interesting also this is another thing this is like kind of shifting the like it's to the horseshoe thing again like because and the thing i feel like it's only fair to be equally critical on either side of the spectrum because at the end of the day we're all doing what we think is right for everyone. But when we get to like hyper leftist, like super leftist people, especially in the States, it always makes me kind of laugh because they'll say things like eat the rich. And I'm like, you are the rich. Every <laughs> single person that's ever <laughs> eat the rich has been the rich. Unless you're literally homeless, most of the people in like america are more prosperous than people throughout the world could ever imagine and that's not because we're number one it's because we hoard wealth and like it's and they're like eat the rich i'm like self-cannibalism i don't know like go for it i guess but like it, it's very much like especially right now like i and this is a very interesting conversation as well how the Black Lives Matter movement has been overtaken by a cab, which is just a lot of, and a lot of the time, yes, uh, some people who say that are POC and people who have experienced police brutality, but for a lot of people, it's also like just them plan, playing out this weird anarchist fantasy. And I'm like, are you truly leftist or do you just want to guillotine some people? Like, yeah. what is going on? Like, and it, it's tough. It's very tough to like really distinguish who actually cares and who is just trying to like, you know, like stoke, like live out this weird fantasy that they have. And it, it goes for either side. And it's, it's tough to find people that are genuine in their beliefs. Obviously, I feel like we are, but then also we have our own internal biases. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think everybody I, everybody has their biases, and I think what's important is that we acknowledge them and try to 
kind of deal with them. I think some people just kind of lean into them more and more and more. Right. I think something also to like kind of talk about in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement is that there's a difference between being an ally and standing by people who are actually experiencing these these um, troubles. And there's so there's this distinction between that and then actually like trying to control the narrative. If you are not first-handedly like experiencing those issues, you should not be trying to control or be the the defining face of the the movement. I think that there just needs to be a distinction between how do you protectively or no, how do you proactively be an ally and raise up the people who have actually experienced this without crossing that line of oh now I'm going to take it to the extreme and try to be the number one spokesperson for the movement even though these experiences have never happened to me. Yeah, I think that theme of kind of the spotlight, definitely, you know, the, the, you know, the wrong people taking the spotlight from the people who really need to be talking, uh, just kind of is a theme with activism and just in general, the U.S. Right. That is, ve- oh, you can go ahead. I was just saying, right. I'm good. You're good. Um, okay. Go. So that is very, like, I really agree with that. And kind of coming back to like my experience as an Indian American, I feel like a lot of the time people like to appropriate the struggle of people of color. And this sounds like, and again, I don't want to sound like anti-white or anything because obviously like I'm not anti-white, but the thing is I feel a lot of times people try to like really they start empathizing and then they start really empathizing and then they're like oh man screw whitey and i'm like you are whitey okay like and and it reminds me of like this thing in that 70s show where basically hide this like rebellious character says screw whitey and then they're like you're whitey and he's like no barely and it's like no you are white recognize that and while that was funny in the show i know a lot of people who are super liberal but then they start co-opting different parts of people's cultures and they use it to make them seem more like ethnic and more like worldly where they're truly just like commodifying people's cultures and their lives like like bindis for example like i see people wearing bindis like body jewelry and i'm like you know that's actually it has cultural significance to us and while i'm fine with people wearing it like understand why what you're doing but like to a lot of people it doesn't matter because it just helps them fit again this image that they have in their head of what like an activist is it's like being ethnic without actually being a person of color you know it's like that term that people use spicy white you know like they try to spice themselves up by and and it's not it's not always something as egregious as blackface or egregious as getting like protective hairstyles that typically are used by black people like it, it, it is the subtleties it is like making yourself sound like you're not like adjusting the narrative to fit what you want to be and i feel like it's it's both like disingenuous but it also diminishes people 
from being able to speak on their own experiences. Because a lot of the time, when I think of activism against racial injustice, it's people that are either white or like white enough, like whitewashed enough where they're not overly ethnic. Like I would never be the face of like activism because I just, my features are too ethnic. My like skin is too dark. I just look too Indian and uh, that's not palatable. You need someone that's like just that sweet spot. Like you could scooch in the ethnicity like aspect of it without them being like, oh man, it's jarring how like dark they are or like clearly different race they are. And it, it you're slowly colonizing the very movement that people have started to dismantle these institutions. And that is a big point of frustration for people of color, specifically black people, because they're the ones who are currently being affected by this the most. And I, and even people of color like me should not try to relate to that. Like you, we need to acknowledge that we are different. We're different together, but we're different, you know? Well, I think <clears throat> I think that's a great place to actually wrap up because unfortunately, I I do have to go soon. So uh, I think mm -hmm. you know, this is a great conversation, and uh, thank you for coming on and thanks for you know joining us in the discussion. I hope you had fun for having me. I'm I'm super happy that I got to talk to you guys. Yeah, yeah I think that this new format is going to be much more interesting to the audience, and it. It brings in so many different perspectives that we need. So, mm -hmm. yeah. All right, cool. Well, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, we will see you guys next week and uh, have a good week.